I'm actually trying to remember the question. Uh, I don't know. It must not have been that in, important. Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hey, folks. Welcome to Making Data Simple. Glad you're here. Um, I have to tell you, I am now a COVID statistic. As I am talking, I do have COVID. So we've been talking about COVID over the last couple of years on this podcast. I thought somehow I was going to be the lucky one that didn't get COVID. That's not true. I now have COVID. <laughs> so, you know, I may break into a cough. The good news is we got a mute button. I did have a pretty big fever, but that's gone. So I think I'm coming out of it. Nothing to be messed with. So uh, I'll do my best today. Today, the guest I have is David Collins. The topic that we're going to talk about is data and startup leadership. Uh, if there's an episode title, I don't know. It's like making decisions easy. Just like making data simple, it's making decisions easy. You'll see why in just a minute. David has 20 years in data analytics at well-known and emerging technology companies, including Actium, Attunity, Click, and Intel. Although I don't think Intel is an emerging technology company, but it's, it's, it's on the list. Um, seeing the market opportunity for decision intelligence and how it will change the velocity and volume with which decisions will be made. David joined DWO as chief revenue officer. That means he makes all the money and we've got to talk about your incentive plan. I'm sure it's terrific. (laughs) We're not going there, Al. Trust me, we're not going there. We're supposed to be very transparent and open on this podcast. <laughs> All right. DWO is an innovator in AI-powered decision intelligence, which we'll talk about. The company's platform accelerates business decision-making by helping users quickly understand the metrics or how metrics change or why metrics change. It delivers actionable recommendations that improve business outcomes it combines AI, ML-driven automation, and patented contextual intelligence. And I think they already have a ton of Fortune 1000 enterprises that are working with them. Welcome, David. I appreciate you being here. Great to be here. Under the circumstances, I'm glad I'm not with you, but I'm glad <laughs> I'm with you nonetheless. All good. I'm coming out of it now. Uh, you, you've had COVID as well, I presume. Absolutely. Yes, I've had the experience. You had the experience. So everybody in your family had it or is it uh, just uh, you or? Everybody but my wife, which um, we're going to donate her to science to figure <laughs> out what the uh, what the reason for that was. But she somehow managed to dodge it, whereas everybody else has uh, had the experience and fortunately come out the other side okay, which is uh, not to be taken for granted every time. Well, I, I, there's got to be some coincidence here because my wife is the only person in my family of five that hasn't had it either. I don't get it. Yep. I don't know well, how she's avoiding it. They're, they're living right or something. I, I, don't I, know. I can't give them that much credit, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> there could be something to it. All right. Hey, please introduce yourself a little bit further. I gave a little bit of an intro, but uh, talk to some of your experience and what brings you here. Yeah. So um, as you touched on, I've been in the data space now for quite a while. Um, And a lot of the, uh, a lot of the the things that I was uh, party to was uh, this whole notion of self-serve analytics and all the, uh, you know, we'll, we'll democratize data and all that sounded so good to me years ago. Right. And until, until we actually started trying to do it. And then we realized not everybody, you know, 
woke up one day and told their mom they want to be an analyst. So we were democratizing data for the masses and an awful lot of people kind of consider themselves to be business people, not not analysts per se. And I think it's created a real challenge because there was an expectation, right? The expectation was, wow, we, you know, we make, we turn self-serving, we we turn on self-serving analytics somehow, right? And we, we give people access and we give them a, we give them a, you know, a, a power bi or a click or or something like that and you know everything will be great you know we will have lo- unlocked tremendous value in our data if we just you know find them a, a data buffet that they can go help themselves and the reality is it ain't happened and, it, and it's not going to happen right it's just it's 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 not the way people are wired. That's not the way the vast majority of us um, like to think. You know, we there are plenty of us that are full-time analysts. Got it. But the vast majority of people that are asking to be analysts today, you know, in that self-service model, that are re- they're actually the ones responsible for making decisions from this data. They're not. You know, they're they're just not getting the value. They're not. They're not. They don't see themselves as being you know, slaves to dashboards and, and sitting there and trying to extract nuggets to be able to, you know, mine gold from the, from the data. So we, the paradigm has to change. Right. And, and I think that's, um, that's, what's got me excited now is that um, on one hand, maybe I contributed to this whole self-serve, you know, analytic thing that maybe hasn't panned out quite the way we'd all hoped. But on the other hand, I think there is a, there is a path forward and that is allow the, the analytics to render uh, a recommendation that leads to an immediate decision, as opposed to stopping with you know dashboards and charts and graphs and, and that. And so that's where that's why I'm so geeked about the decision intelligence spaces. And uh, it's it's something that's got a lot of momentum behind it. And you know, not just our company, but you know, a number of other firms. And it's it's simply that it's getting to value faster for all this analytic input. Before we jump into Dewo, tell me about the chief revenue officer. Is that sales or is it finance? Or is it both? <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> so I have um, uh, I have a team uh, that that is on the sales side that that uh, reports up to me. I have a marketing organization that that um, reports up to me, and then I have uh, the a customer success organization to make sure everybody's happy with what they get, um, and that that group reports up to me. So that's. That's the uh, sphere of influence that that I have. No, they don't let me sign a check. That would not be uh, that would not be good. So you're the sales guy. You're getting things done. You're you're closing deals. Yeah, and we're you know the the the, the bigger issues. You know, I think at this stage of the process, um, I I kind of think of myself as chief evangelist, right? Not just mm-hmm. for Dio. Um, which is, you know, what I get paid to do, but also for this whole decision intelligence um, thing, right? Is, is you know, there it, we're at that evangelist stage. We're at that crossing the chasm stage with this, where it's about finding, you know, really compelling stuff that um, people can go back to and say, look, we solved this. You know, we saw, we've been working on this for a long time. We've never been able to figure it. We solved it, right? And, and that, that, that's a big deal. I got a lot of questions, but let's go ahead and let's talk about uh, Dewo. Why Dewo? Come on. The real question is, where the hell did that name come from? Oh, thank you. <laughs> that, that is the real question. <laughs> yeah, that's everywhere. Dewo, Dewo. So it's it's kind of yeah. like Devo. 
<laughs> exactly. The 80s band. We are Dwo. So uh, Dwo, <laughs> D-I-W-O. Um, actually, it's an acronym for Decision In, Wisdom Out. Um, but it's a lot shorter to call it Dwo. And so uh, Dwo actually, you know, uh, our founder um, was... Uh, it, had a very, very successful data science consulting company. And the genesis for the company, uh, Dewa, was, you know, they'd put together all these, you know, tremendous models, you know, and deploy the models back out to the customer. And the customer would take the output of the models and not be able to generate any business value, right? And so he's looking at this and going, wait, the problem is not the production of insights the problem is the consumption of insights right how does that data science output translate into business value and so the genesis of the company was he said look there's got to be a better way right it it, it, there are lots of companies out there doing tremendous work on the vendor side in data science and then you've got you've got organizations that have hundreds of data scientists, right? So there's no shortage of that data science effort and that effort to, you know, to mine value from, from your data sources. But the problem that, that he identified and he's spot on is the translation of that analytic output that from the, from the data, the models, whatever, into something that's actionable that creates business value immediately, right? And so that's, that's really the genesis of, uh, of DWO. So it was obviously purposeful to to choose decision intelligence versus data science. Uh, great, great question. So um, decision intelligence is is a, it's a practice in of itself, and it it's not data science. It's the consumption of data science, right? And so the, the people, the work that, you know, H2O.AI and DataIQ and uh, DataRobot and, and those tools and all those scientists, they're doing great stuff. The question is, um, can we extract business value quicker, better, faster from that great stuff that the data scientists are, are doing? So we're not a data science platform. We're a decision intelligence platform in that we take that output and we put it into a format that every user can use to uh, immediately identify opportunities and then translate those opportunities into actions that create business value. But I presume you must sit on data, top of data science. And I presume it's, is it your data science or is it, could it be third party data science or it's the full stack? So you're correct. We sit on top of data science. And typically, it's the it's the client's data science that we're sitting on top of, right? So we're going to go in, you know, everybody's got their data analytics stack today, right? We'll all complain about the quality of the data or the, you know, whatever, whatever. But we all got one, right? We're paying zillions of dollars for it. So that tech stack exists. Um, you're running BI on it today, probably. You've got your models running on it as well. We don't go in and disrupt any of that. We sit on top of all of that. We drop pipelines down into your data warehouse, your cloud data warehouse, your data mesh, your data fabric, whatever you got. And then we have a model orchestrator. So we're not actually absorbing the models. We're actually just orchestrating the models so that we 
grab the artifacts from those models, or we grab the output from those models, or we can trigger a model if we need to trigger a model, and so on. And so, yeah, we're laying on top of um, the enterprise's existing data analytics tech stack, including their data science. Who, who is your target client profile in this case, then? So think of it this way. So think of it any place where you have repetitive decisions being made by a group of people. So, and this is, that didn't narrow it down a lot. I apologize for that. <laughs> yeah, right. Every but, company on the planet? Every car, in, <laughs> in fact, every bar you walk into on a Thursday afternoon too at happy hours, it, there's <laughs> repetitive decisions being made. But no, it's, it's really, <laughs> we're, what we're talking about is, is if you think about, all right, Bad supply decision. chain, I got planners, right? I, I have planners that have to plan purchases, inventory, inventory allocation, you know, in their supply chain every day their job is to make multiple decisions per day marketing right on the marketing side what campaigns are we running what promotions are we running what 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 are we doing for customer churn and customer retention right these are these are decisions that i make every day pricing is another one uh in the retail space um you know what products am i going to put on the floor at what price point and in in what inventory across you know, 500 locations. So there's, there's human beings in all those jobs that have to somehow look at data and make intelligent business decisions using something other than intuition, gut feel, what I did last time, or, you know, luck. And so the theory's always been is that's, you know, right now, we'll, that's a business intelligence tool application, and we'll give them a dashboard. Well, it's a long way between a dashboard and deciding, you know, of my 565 locations, you know, how many of each SKU is going to go to each one, given that everyone has a different demographic, everybody has a different um, geography, everybody has a you know, different climate, et cetera, et cetera. And so a human being right now is faced with making those decisions. And, you know, uh, Gartner does this every year, right? Gartner does the survey that says how many uh, decisions are data driven, right? And it's, you know, it's always, I think people lie and say 40%, but it's never more than 40%, right? And I would argue most of those data driven decisions are, hey, I already made my decision. I just went back and found the data to justify it. Um, that's not the same as being a data driven decision, right? And so what we look at is we kind of turn it upside down and say, let the data speak, right? We'll uncover the insights automatically. Let's skip the whole dashboard phase, right? Let's just, let's just bypass dashboards. Let's go right to having an analytic output that's like, that says, you know, we, in, in natural, we use a natural language programming. This is, hey, we found these uh, opportunities for you. And here's our recommendation for how you exploit those opportunities. I think this is... Um... This is tough though. And the reason, here's why I say it's, I am in the industry, you're in the industry. And uh, sometimes I think I certainly take it for granted. And I talked about this on my last podcast, but I had a buddy that called me. They're in the auto industry. And he says, hey, I, I'm going to go and I'm, I really want to revamp our reporting. Ultimately, he wants to make the decisions you're talking about. But yeah, I'm going to revamp our reporting. The problem is, is he, he's went through, let's say 50 acquisitions. And he's got, you know, 50 plus data repositories. So at first he comes to me and goes, well, I've done some assessment and I think I know how I'm going to go with that's going to provide my reporting. And he goes, what do you think? And I'm like, 
do you know that they're going to connect all the data sources? And he's like, well, they said that they could connect to most of them. I said, so you, they can't connect to all of them? I mean, so you're going to leave some data on the table? He goes, well, let me come back. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, he goes back and forth. And um, he talked to one company, and I kid you not, one of them said, because I gave him some advice, how accurate are you in the data uh, with your reports and stuff like this? And they said like 95%. He's like, what? And then the other one said they were 100%, but it takes longer to get that report. Then I started talking to him about it. I said, what questions are you trying to answer? And do you believe in your data to begin with? So then we started talking about data fabric. Mm. And so pretty soon he's like, I don't even know what to do anymore, man. Right. I mean, and he's honestly the president of the company. I mean, the smartest guy I know. But if you're not doing this every day, going back to the, the target client, maybe it's a, a larger client that has a, an army of people that are doing some of this stuff. But if we could do it for, for my buddy that called, ton of opportunity. Well, you're, yeah. I mean, you're spot on, right? So um, it depends. For us, we're, we're mostly Fortune 1000 uh, because they've had an army of people and they've been, they've been at this for a while. Now, having said that, they still have the same, can I get to this data question, right? Um, that, that's still out there. But the way that I always tell people to look at it, because I, I'm, I'm of the opinion now that, that the pursuit of perfection in your data is a never ending quest and you know it's don quixote like and we'll you know you can <laughs> you can keep chasing this thing as long as you want um you will never get there you never will get there you just get incrementally better but that's all you can hope for is to keep getting incrementally better um however in the meantime people still have to make decisions today Right today, in that guy's company, your friend had tons of staff that made decisions based upon what? Right, they, they, he's looking to give them new reporting so they can make better decisions. Chances are, what they have right now is probably terrible, and they're still doing it by gut feel or instinct or intuition. Not that that's yeah, entirely after the fact, right? After the well, fact. after yeah, yeah, after the fact, and it, and not that there isn't a space for that, right? Because you know we don't necessarily believe in autonomous. Um, you know, decision-making from analytics. We believe in if you give people recommendations of what they need to do to exploit opportunities that were uncovered in the data, you make it actionable, you make it specific, then they'll make incremental improvements to the business. Now, will it be 100% accurate, you know, day one? Hell no, right? But, you know, you have to look at it relative where you are today. And in most organizations, I, you know, fortune. We've got a couple of Fortune 10s that we're working with, right, that have spent hundreds of millions of dollars. They get it. They're like, look, we're, we're no closer to the holy grail than, than we were, you know, two or three years ago. But we still have to make decisions, right? Right now, people are making bad decisions. And, and we need to try to see if we can at least give them the data and give them the opportunity to make a better decision um, day in and day out. But so, David, are you actually making decisions better? Or are you identifying questions for the client that, that he, they haven't even thought of yet? Both. Yeah, both. That's the cool part of, you know, that's where AI kicks in, right? And so um, we have our AI in, in, in a lot of our patents are around something we call contextual intelligence. So our customers have a use case where they have, they know what questions they want to ask, right? You know, how many widgets do I need to order uh, given my lead time is X and I've got five locations and our production's Y. Okay, that, that's, that's a pre 
that's pretty much a predictive value kind of thing you can do in, today. Um, but then there's all sorts of other variables that may go into it because I can order X and I can have them all there and I can say, hey, I did my job. But it turns out that this other widget isn't going to be available. Production is going to be restricted. And so I can have a I can have a bunch of inventory just sitting on the shelf, getting old, getting bad, or, or just uh, wasting capital because I didn't have the contextual knowledge to know that my supply chain was going to be disrupted by another part, and I didn't account for it. I just blindly went ahead and did whatever I did before. And so that's the type of, and there's a zillion of those type of use cases, right? So that's the type of contextual knowledge that humans really aren't capable of uh, doing it at scale. So you can't have 50, 75 planners in your in your supply chain if you're a big Fortune uh, 500 company and expect them all to have you know these type of conversations where they're all knowing. But if you have one source of contextual knowledge, then you can put all that into a you know in, into a system and have the system come back and say, okay, this is what this is what you would typically do. However, we also noted that uh, this particular widget's running behind. Therefore, the production's going to be altered. Therefore, you should probably you know, uh, drop down your order uh, for the next three weeks to X minus 20% or something like that. And so that that really makes the decision better. So some, sometimes, yeah, we're just making decisions better. Sometimes we're just happening, helping them make more decisions, right? If, mm-hmm. if I don't have to start with a dashboard and I can start with just a series of recommendations and says, hey, we've found nine problems. Here's nine solutions. Evaluate them and decide. I'm going to get a lot more done that day, right? I'm going to create a lot more business value. But oftentimes what we're also surfacing is something that the human wouldn't have come up with. You just look and you go, wow, here we are. Um, I didn't, I never would have thought of that. Right? And that's, that's what the AI is for. Now, are the recommendations part of the AI itself, meaning that it's going to learn upon the recommendations that ultimately bear fruit versus those that you, you toss aside? Yeah. Is it so learning this- as it goes? Yeah, this this is really where the cool part is. I, I think the cool part is is that, you know, as you know, when when you make a when we make a recommendation, the user has a choice. They can accept it, they can uh, amend it, or they could reject it. But we know what effectively that that rec- that recommendation is kind of the the baseline, right? And then of course we're sitting there watching the data, you know, going forward. So any future change in that data due to a recommendation be accepted we track, we know, we learn from, right? We see the Delta, we can see the response. And so, yeah, you can, we have, you know, models of models, if you will, that are able to predict, um, are are able to sharpen the accuracy of our recommendations based upon the outcome of previous recommendations. Now, how do you assess whether a client is ready for your technology or do you look at it and say the data is solid or is it it's at least as solid as it's going to get. Yeah. And then you have a data science platform, probably even have a CDO. Now DWO comes in and says, all right, we can build on top of that and we can make recommendations that you, uh, that'll improve your business or. Yeah, it's precisely. We, it's basically, uh, you know, what do you got today? Right. Um, and for most people, they've got a pretty good tech stack put together. Um, it's, you know, it, it might be at that 80, 85%, you know, of, uh, uh, the data is there, or the you know the the quality of the data, etc. But um, it's at a high enough level where we can, um, if we can, if you're using business intelligence tools, then you can use our decision intelligence platform on top of it. And then same thing for the models. If the models exist, then we're going to use them. 
Um, if the models don't exist, then we can help you build them, uh, or because we do have that uh, sister organization that has hundreds of data scientists working for it. So we can also build a model and you know give it to a customer if they need it. But um, ultimately, from a readiness perspective, we're looking at if if you're running business intelligence today, good. Let's go. You know, let's let's do decision intelligence instead, and and uh, go from there. It's not much more than that, to be honest. Is it is it cloud only, or is it hybrid? Or you know, it's it's technically, I guess it's hybrid, right? But um, almost everything we do is in their virtual private cloud, and that has to do with infosec more than anything else, right? So, it, most of these are mission critical um, ops functions that they're wanting to um, apply decision intelligence against. So that data is in their VPCs. And so that's where we end up running is in their VPCs. So you're not, you leave the data where it's currently residing then. Exactly. No migration, no more moving, none of that kind of stuff. Um, Cause that, that's, that's no fun. And we've, that we've done that enough. You just tell us where it is and we drop pipelines into it for when we need to access it. Now, I'm to understand that you will create new models, but what are some of the common models or use cases that fit within your sweet spot? So, you know, it's, as I said earlier, it's ops kind of stuff. So uh, we're domain agnostic, but it's any place where you have people that um, are making, you know, a consistent set of decisions, even if I'm responsible for a slightly different, you know, part of it. So, um, supply chain is is big. Retail is big. Um, even uh, it, it, when you get into risk and risk management, um, that's big. Um, inventory allocations, logistics. Uh, logistics is a huge one uh, today because optimizing logistics is predominantly a, a human function um, where we think about what we're supposed to do next. So anytime where you want, and, and invariably, there are, there are human operators, right? These are all people that are um, are tasked with making the optimal decision uh, multiple times a day for their their customer. Now, this could mean you're you know you're a Wall Street trading firm, right? And you've got some of the most amazing data science ever, um, or you could literally be making laundry detergent, and you have somebody with a you know a, that's a, a laborer that's on a relatively low wage scale that is being uh, told uh, you delivered a, a recommendation as to how to mix the ingredients uh, that particular day to get optimal um, optimal production uh, at the first pass. So it's it's a range of potential use cases. The use cases are, as I said before, domain agnostic. But the key to it is, you know, we, we have to make these, uh, we have to make similar types of decisions on a regular basis, and we can use data to drive those for us. Can you give me a, a profound area of impact that you've made, like in one of those use cases, or even a client reference that really speaks to the offering that DWO presents? Yeah, you know, it's um, it's really interesting. If if you get into like um, in the campaign management side of the business, right, which is the marketing side, um, we have customers that um, are responsible for billions of, of credit cards being out there right now mm -hmm. their goal is to get more spend on their credit card versus some other brand so they have massive um, marketing efforts to be able to try to optimize that spend you know towards their cards and we provide 
the decision intelligence and the recommendations for all their issuers to be able to deliver a marketing campaign. So we, we recommend to hundreds, thousands of issuing banks how to maximize um, their credit card spend using marketing campaigns. So it's kind of typical. It's always things of, of uh, that typically have a big impact on that on that customer. Now, in that particular case, thousands of users. In other cases, you know, we have we have um, you know ninety nine key people. I'm sorry, three hundred key people running ninety nine uh, categories at one of the largest retailers we have in the U.S. So those ninety nine categories have three hundred people, and they run the business. They're the key. When you go to the store, if the shelf is empty. It's their fault. If the shelf's full, they, they, it's their fault too, right? They want someplace just in between. And so, you know, in that case, there's only 300 people that use this. But every day, what are they looking at? They're trying to plan what they're going to need to have and, you know, work with their vendors. And if they're excess inventory, create promotions. It's a billion-dollar impact. I mean, this, the stuff that we're doing is we're not measuring uh, $10 million worth of impact. We're, we're measuring $100 million worth of impact. And, and, and more. Well, speaking of COVID, the shelf is probably empty and I'm not sure it's their fault this time <laughs> given no. the logistics. No, but you know, that's, that's one of the, that's one of the interesting things, right? We've been doing predictive analytics, right? Where we'll look at historical trends, yada, 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 we'll go back over the last three years. What the hell good does that do you now? You know, I mean, you can't go back. You want to go back and, and relive 20 and in 21 and, and learn something from it because, you know, thank God 22 is different, but it's still not 2019. So, you know, the, the, the old way of doing things with, you know, looking at trends and historical data and, and being do able to do predictive analytics straight up don't, doesn't work. It, it just fundamentally. That's a, you know, that's a, a great point in that all the data that we've had over probably two years in many of the logistics areas is for not, I mean, it's not going to provide any value at all. Absolutely. So that's a great example to carry forward. So what would DWO do differently in that case specifically, ignoring the prehistoric data and, and somehow looking forward? It's got to take the data for statistical analysis that's underneath it, right? The data science. So what? Is it, otherwise, what would it be doing differently? Well, if you think about it, what, what, instead of the traditional predictive an analytics that you did based upon, you know, historical data and consistent run rates and et cetera, what you look at is you end up with a much more complicated um, scenario, right, or strategy, um, much more complicated than what you would what the humans that are in the loop are, are traditionally used to dealing with. So today, right, like if I'm a logistics company, let's see if I get this straight. 2019, everything was going, you know, according to plan, <laughs> 17, 18, 19, then boom, you know, stores shut down. I'm suddenly, you know, double my, my volumes. And then it starts to peter out in 2021. And now it's back to 2022. H how do I deal with this? Right. And so you're starting you know, when our decision intelligence kicks in and makes recommendations to a logistics company, it's taking into account what happened in 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021. It's also make, maybe taking into account what was happening with, you know, Al Martin's business and how much he was shipping to us. But I'm also getting data sources in that telling, okay, you know, uh, uh, what's happening on the social circle? What are my social feeds telling us? What are we getting from intent data from, from the web? You know, all these other sources that never went into a, into these models before all have to be accounted for. And because if you don't, 
then and you're you're effectively flying blind and i think everybody's you learn the lesson they just can't do that hey podcast listeners to be respectful of time we're going to end it here and then we're going to pick it up next week thanks for listening